Open your Bibles to Zechariah chapter 12. Lord willing, we're going to finish Zechariah 12 tonight. So I hope you brought a lunch. Zechariah chapter 12. So let's start reading in verse 9. Well, why don't we pray before we start? Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for Grace Baptist Church and the love that you have given your people for your word. And Lord, it is wonderful to be able to be in a place where I know that that people come expecting to get something from the scriptures. So thank you for this opportunity, Lord, and help us as we study your word. In Jesus' name, amen. It is a blessing. I know that that often pastors, they they feel pressure to entertain the people. And uh, I'm thankful that we don't have to worry about that here. We're just going to open up the Bible and Go through the text and what God has for us, that's what he has for us. And so I'm thankful that you all are here for that. So Zechariah chapter 12, look at verse 9. And it shall come to pass, you know when a preacher says that it means it's going to be boring. But anyway, and it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. And then there's a big shift right here. And we talked about it last week. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. In that day there shall be a great mourning in Jerusalem as the mourning of Hadad-Rimmon in the valley of Megiddo, and the land shall mourn. Now I want you to notice some specific details that are given here. It's such an interesting shift. So starting in verse 12, notice the families that are mentioned. And the land shall mourn every family apart, the family of the house of David apart, and their wives apart, the family of the house of Nathan apart, and their wives apart, the family of the house of Levi apart, and their wives apart, the family of Shimei apart, and their wives apart. All the families that remain, every family apart, and their wives apart. Isn't that an interesting passage? And now, what did you notice about those verses? It names a family, and then it talks about the wives. It names the family, and then it talks about the wives. Um, so let's deal with the Hadad Rimen part as we begin um, look at, so hold your place here, look at Second Chronicles chapter 35. So Second Chronicles chapter 35, it gives us the account of Josiah the king, and he was a good king, being killed. And Look at verse 23, and the archers shot at King Josiah, and the king said to his servants, have me away, for I am sore wounded. His servants therefore took him out of that chariot and put him in the second chariot that he had, and they brought him to Jerusalem, and he died and was buried in one of the sepulchers of his fathers, and all Judah and Jerusalem mourned for Josiah. And Jeremiah lamented for Josiah And all the singing men and the singing women spake of Josiah in their lamentations, or spake of of Josiah in their lamentations to this day, 
and made them an ordinance in Israel, and behold, they are written in the Lamentations. Now the rest of the acts of Josiah and his goodness, according to that which was written in the law of the Lord, and his deeds, first and last, behold, they are written in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah. So first and second Kings, first and second Chronicles, first and second Samuel, those are the historical books. So in the books of Kings, first and second Kings, we would read about King Josiah. So Hadad-Rimmon, and this is the, a battle that took place in the Valley of Megiddo. And so there are different names that the Bible gives for this Valley of Megiddo. It's, the, it's Megiddo. It is Armageddon. It's the Valley of Jezreel. That's all the same spot. And when I was up uh, on Mount Carmel where uh, Elijah slew the prophets of Baal, you'd look down, that's at, at the tip of the valley. And it's about 36 miles long and 15 miles wide. And um, Napoleon, when he was at that site, he said that all the armies of the world could do maneuvers in that plain. And that's the place where God is going to gather all the nations of the world to fight against Israel. Millions of soldiers are going to be in that spot. That's the place that's being spoken of here. The, the, it's Hadad-Rimmon. And it is the place where Josiah died. And it's interesting when you look at in verse, the end of verse 24... And all Judah and Jerusalem mourned for Josiah. Go back to Zechariah chapter 12. So when I was at the, the Bears game, my brother bought me a banner because they won the championship in, 19, in December of 1963. And so they had a banner with that date on it, and that's the year I was born. So my brother wanted to buy that for me. And I looked at the date, and it was December something, 1963. Who knows what happened a month before that? Yeah, John F. Kennedy was killed. And now, how many of you remember 9-11? Is that a vivid memory for you? How many of you remember the assassination of Kennedy? You remember that? Was that a vivid thing? Um, I... I spoke, I mentioned to Laura when I noticed that and that it was a month after the assassination of Kennedy. I, can you imagine, though you remember, many of you remember, those of us who don't, I was four months old or something. Um, can you imagine what the country was like right then? It, it really, it, it had an amazing impact on the nation. It's hard to put into words how it affected the nation. That's the way that this was for Israel. And that's why when God describes the mourning that's going to take place when Jesus is seen, it's mourning like that. And why was it so important? Why was that king, King Josiah, so important? Because he's the one who found the scriptures. He brought the Bible back to the worship of Israel. And after this, after the death of Josiah, that was the end for Judah. You know, the, the, I'll read you what James Knox said. Um, he 
he said, in truth, the death of this monarch was the sunset of the kingdom of Judah. A few gleams of light may have lingered afterwards in God's mercy, but these soon faded away for both kings and people were deaf to the pleadings of the prophets. And the Bible says all Judah and all Jerusalem mourned for Josiah. And it's an interesting thing that that's the point that God brings them back to because Josiah is the one who brought them the word and Jesus Christ is the word. I want to give you a couple of things about Josiah that's interesting. Josiah was a good king. He was a godly king, but he was killed because of the sins of the people. Josiah died for the sins of the people. Then his reign was the closing manifestation of mercy on the part of the Lord. The end of that reign. And there's going to come a time when Jesus Christ's mercy ends. Pointing back to Josiah, it's an interesting thing. Then unspeakable misery followed immediately afterwards. So they go into captivity and all of the destruction of Jerusalem. And the destruction of Jesus, when they killed Jesus Christ, that was in 30 AD, 70 AD, the entire city is completely destroyed. By 135, there's nothing left of Israel. It's completely gone and the people are scattered. So this death of Josiah, it's pointing to a very calamitous time that brought misery. The lamentation for his death rested upon the mingled feelings of love and sorrow for their own sins as the cause of his death. So look back at Zechariah 12 and look at verse 11 again. In that day shall there be a great mourning in Jerusalem as the mourning of Hadad-Rimmon in the valley of Megiddo. And then notice verse 12. And the land shall mourn every family apart, the family of the house of David apart, and their wives apart. So uh, I want to break down these individuals and who they are and why it's important. Notice he's not giving the 12 tribes. There are four representatives that are given. And first of all, all the families, every family is being represented. So notice what it says. It begins with all the families, but then it, it starts with the house of David the house of David, that, that house of David represents all the kings and all the kings that had turned away from God and all the kings that had brought sin, though their families, their families are going to mourn. They're going to mourn. And then notice what it says at the end of verse 12, the family of the house of Nathan. Nathan represents the priests. I'm sorry, the prophets, all of those prophets that prophesied and as the nation started to turn away from God and false prophets arose and the people followed those false prophets, this is Nathan represents those prophets and all of those families are going to mourn. And then look at what it says in verse 12, the family of the house of Levi. Who do you think the house of Levi? What, what group of people would that represent? The priests. And so the, uh, there's a, let me see if I can remember where the passage is. Um, I don't know if I have it written down here. Let me see if I do. Look at... Um, no, I don't have it right there. The Bible talks about... I remember. Second uh, Chronicles chapter 36... 
I believe it's verse 14. Yes. So we all know that the kings of Israel became evil and that the, the prophets became, began uh, prophesying for profit. Look at verse Second, Second Chronicles 36 and four, verse 14. Moreover, all the chief of the priests and the people transgressed very much after all the abominations of the heathen and polluted the house of the Lord, which he had hallowed in Jerusalem. So even the priests, they polluted the house of God. Can you imagine that? They polluted the house of God. So for each of these groups... They're turning away from the Lord. And then, of course, it was the chief priest. Look at John 19. Oh, it's funny. That verse that I couldn't find is printed right here in my notes. The whole verse is there. All right. So John chapter 19, look at verse 15. But they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said unto them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. And so these different groups, David representing the kings, and uh, Nathan representing the prophets, and Levi representing the priests. Then go back to Zechariah 12. Verse 13, again, the family of the house of Levi apart, and their wives apart, the family of Shimei apart, and their wives apart. Now, commentators struggle with, with what Shimei is representing here, um, but based on the cross-references in the book of Leviticus, what the best that they can come up with is these are the tribe of Levi that were not priests, just to tie all of that together. But, but the Shimei, I, I'm not sure exactly what that's supposed to be. Um, then look at verse 14. All the families that remain, every family apart and their wives apart. So what is this talking about? And what is it, how can we understand it today? Look at the book of Ezekiel. Chapter 14. And look at verse 12. Ezekiel chapter 14 and verse 12. The word of the Lord came again to me, saying, Son of man, when the land sinneth against me by trespassing grievously, then will I stretch out mine hand upon it, and will break the staff of the bread thereof. Now, that means he's going to bring famine, and will send, fam- well, and will send famine upon it. Wasn't that helpful for me to tell you that? Um, and will cut off man and beast from it. Now, look at what it says in verse 14. Though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job... Now, uh, nothing is said bad about these men in the Bible, okay? So these are guys that are the good guys. So it says, though Noah, Daniel, and Job... Now, of course, we, we understand Noah's sin, getting drunk, Job questioning God. 
but they are generally represented in the scriptures in a positive light as leaders. We're in it. They should deliver. Look at what it says. But their own souls by their righteousness, saith the Lord God. And then he says, if I cause noisome beasts to pass through the land and they spoil it so that it be desolate, that no man may pass through because of the beasts. Though these three men were in it, as I live, saith the Lord, they shall deliver neither, look at what it says, sons nor daughters. They only shall be delivered, but the land shall be desolate. Or if I bring a sword upon the land and say, sword, go through the land so that I cut off man and beast from it. Though these three men were in it, as I live, saith the Lord, they shall deliver neither sons nor daughters, but they only shall be delivered. Do you you think that God's making a point here? It goes on. Or if I send a pestilence into the land. Now, those of you who have studied this out, these these are the plagues of Revelation 6 through 8. These are the, these are the, this is the destruction that comes to the land during the tribulation period. So you have the pestilence, you have the famine, you have the sword, you have the beasts, all of those things. Verse 19, again, if I send a pestilence into the land and pour out my fury upon it in blood to cut off from it man and beast, though Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, as I live, saith the Lord, they shall deliver neither son nor daughter, they shall but deliver their own souls by their righteousness. So what is that passage talking about? Uh, when I was in college, early in the 1980s, I heard a man preach on that text. And he called it the law of individual accountability. The law of individual accountability. And so what, what this passage is saying is that, so let's say that I as a father am righteous. My righteousness doesn't transfer to Jacob. And that's obvious, right? My righteousness doesn't transfer. He is a free moral agent, and it's between him and God where his righteousness comes from. Now, of course, in the Old Testament, there was, you know, individual righteousness is spoken of. We understand in the New Testament, I don't have any of my own righteousness. Righteousness. Even in the Old Testament, it says all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. But what he's ta- what the passage is talking about is that person's relationship with God. It's individual accountability. Now go back with me to Zechariah chapter twelve, and that's the point that's being made here. So you have these families, and you have the representative head of the family, but then it says, and their wives apart. And we know that in the Bible, and especially in Bible times and up until very recently, that, that women were under the, they were considered to be under the headship of the head of the home. So whether it was voting or taxes or anything, it was under the headship of the man. What the Bible is telling us here, regardless of social construct, regardless of social construct, that wife is just as responsible for her repentance as the husband is. And every family, every family, ladies, you are responsible for your own personal righteousness. Men, you are responsible for your own personal righteousness. And according to Exodus chapter 14, young people, you are responsible for your personal righteousness. And the only way that you can have any righteousness at all is to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. 
what the Bible says, look at Ephesians chapter 6. Do you know what the other good thing about that is? No, I'm thankful my dad was a godly man. But even if he wasn't, my dad's unrighteousness has nothing to do with my righteousness or unrighteousness. Isn't that good? There's no generational sin in the New Testament. That's a blessing. You You might not have had a good home, but you can have one. You might not have had a good dad, but you can be one. You might not have had a good mom, but you can be one. Amen? It is so important, folks. It is so, so important that we understand that when Jesus Christ returns, and that's the context of Zechariah chapter 12, and they see him and the nation mourns. Go to Zechariah chapter 14. Oh, no, no, we're in Ephesians. Sorry, we're getting to the Ephesians 6 part. Jason distracted me. Ephesians chapter 6. So in this, this armor of God, if you look at verse 14, it says, Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with the truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness. So what that is, the, the breastplate covers your vital organs, covers your heart. And it's a foreign righteousness. It's righteousness that we don't have, and we put that on. It's the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So when God looks at me, he doesn't see Jim Alter the sinner, and that's what I deserve. That's the way I deserve to be seen. He sees Jim Alter the son of God. And when he looks at me, he sees the righteousness of God. Because I'm good? No, because Jesus Christ died for me. And Jesus Christ's sacrifice has been applied to my account. The way that that sacrifice is applied to your account is when you ask Jesus Christ to be your Savior. He wants to be your Savior. But you have to confess your sin. There must be repentance. Remember, we looked at that last Sunday night, how this chapter in, in Zechariah, it's, it's about repentance and the nation of Israel repenting. So that righteousness, it's a foreign righteousness that's not ours that we have to put on. Now, go back to Zechariah, but go to chapter 14. Sorry, it's chapter 13. And you look at verse 9, And I will bring the third part through the fire, and will refine them as silver is refined, and will try them as gold is tried. They shall call upon my name, and I will hear them. I will say, it is my people, and they shall say, the Lord is my God. And, of course, we know the cross-reference to that is Second Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray... And turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven, will forgive their sins, and will heal their land. It is repentance. Now, God's going to heal the land as a, as a response to the national repentance as a nation. But that's not what chapter 12 is about. Chapter 12 is about individual families, individual homes, individual husbands, individual wives, regardless of your station in life. It doesn't matter if you're a king. It doesn't matter if you're a prophet. It doesn't matter if you're a priest. It doesn't matter where you fall in that line. Every family is responsible. And notice the word. I want you to notice a word that's used a lot. Go back to Zechariah 12. Verse 12, 
in the land, and the land shall mourn every family apart. And you see that word apart, 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 apart. Here's why this is so important. The nation's made up of families. The family's made up of a husband and a wife. Are you all with me? And it's up to those individual parties to mourn for the Savior. Now, us, God doesn't deal with nations the way that he did in the Old Testament. He will in, in relation to the way they treat Israel. Right now, it's about you. So the question is, if you died today, would you go to heaven or would you go to hell? The Bible says that what we deserve is hell. Every one of us, every, there's not anybody born other than Jesus Christ. Everyone else deserves to go to hell because we're sinners. So Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for that sin. Somehow that has to be applied to your account. It has to be. It's individual. That's why this text is such an interesting thing, the way it breaks it all apart. Every family apart. You're individually accountable. But there's something else, and and you just have to ask Jesus to save you. And if you've never been saved, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let us help you with that tonight. But the other thing that I want you to notice is how God focuses on the family. And I didn't mean it, that focus on the family. Um, And what's interesting is that it's future. Zechariah 12 is future. Are you all with me on this? It's talking about the future. That means that God's not done with the family. How many of you think Satan loves the family? Right? All of these attacks. And it's very difficult to find on television uh, uh, just a good old nuclear family. Husband, wife, and kids. Where the husband has a job, the wife loves the husband, and the kids obey the parents. That's almost impossible to find represented in our culture. I'm thankful it's represented here in this room. Amen? God still cares about the family. And men, it's very important that we understand that it's our job, it is our responsibility to be the spiritual leaders in the home. We determined what's allowed in the home and what's not allowed in the home. That we're going to answer to God for that. But the passage makes it very clear, very, very clear, that the wife is just as important as the husband because it's the family and their wife. The family and their wife. The family and their wife. Notice it never says the husband. It says the family and the wife. Because in that culture, they already knew there was a husband involved. It's very important that we understand. You ladies, you are just as important to the spiritual life of the family as the husband is. Which one's more important? Neither. You got to be in it together. Amen? Got to be in it together. I love it. I love looking out here and seeing these godly homes and just the, the families that are represented here and what God is doing in your homes. And when Jesus Christ returns, Israel's going to look and they're going to see Jesus. They're going to see the one that they've pierced. And they're going to mourn. But that mourning, it's not something that's forced. It's something that they realize for the first time it's true. It's real. And it's individual. That's Zechariah chapter 12. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the information you give us in a text like this. Lord, thank you for singling out families. 
Thank you for singling out wives in the family and how important it is that each and every one of us have the righteousness of Christ, a righteousness that's not ours.